everybody, good morning. This is the podcast daily for Monday, December 26th. This is Bill Landis, Austin Ward, and Jeremy Birmingham are in Atlanta, where Ohio State is preparing to play Georgia in the Peach Bowl semifinal on December 31st. As things get going out there this week, we wanted to have someone else on to give more of an overview on the Bulldogs. We're very pleased to be joined by Brent Rollins. He is uh, a contributor or a writer for UGASports.com, part of the Rivals Network. He co-hosts the film Don't Lie podcast, which is excellent. Um, I've got to watch a little bit of that uh, over the last couple of days, trying to learn more about Georgia. And he also contributes to profootballfocus.com. So we have someone who knows what they're talking about here. Brent, how are you doing? Uh, I guess sort of maybe a little bit. I don't know. But no, doing well. <laughs> and thanks. I'm glad you got to check out the, the pod. Yeah, you know, it was, it was really interesting to to get um, some different perspective, I think, on on people who, who know football watching Ohio State, maybe who don't don't watch them on, on a weekly basis, um, which is actually kind of where I wanted to start, like watching however much you've watched of Ohio state and those, those breakdowns that, that y'all did were, were pretty thorough. What, what was your overall in, impression of that? And and did you feel, did you feel any differently about the matchup after watching Ohio state than maybe you did when you first saw those two names pop up together on, on ESPN, however long ago that was uh, a few things. I mean, in terms of games that I actually sort of really went through, I've watched Michigan twice. Obviously that's, that's one you want to watch. Uh, Watching Ohio State's defense, I really didn't like. I didn't want to watch them play Iowa. You know, we know mm-hmm. Iowa's offense is garbage. So I watched them play, obviously Michigan and Penn State, uh, and then Maryland. Because I think the biggest thing for me is I also want to try to find right who you're going to play against someone that does things from a similar scheme wise. Because I think Georgia's a little unique in what they do, but Maryland is some is someone who actually does some similar things to what UGA does. So watch that from a defensive perspective, offensive perspective. Obviously, the big game, so Michigan, uh, Penn State, and then Maryland as well. But I also watched Iowa on that side of the ball and then Rutgers because for some, you know, st- not necessarily statistically did uh, Stroud have a struggle game against Rutgers, but like from a PFF passing grade standpoint, that was one of his lower grades of the season. So just what goes on in those games and and get a feel for you know each side of the ball a little bit. So – Obviously, you know the, the the Buckeyes are very good. This is a, a high kind of talent on talent sort of sort of matchup here. Um, knowing what you know about Georgia and the knowledge you have of, of that team that this year, was there anything that jumped out to you in watching Ohio State where you felt like, oh, this is this is something Georgia's not had to contend with yet? This is something that that perhaps could be um, an issue or a challenge for for Georgia going into this game. Couple of things. One, we'll start defensively because people want to more start obviously talk offensively. So let's start mm-hmm. on the other side of the ball. Defensively, it's a scheme that Georgia doesn't see, like the sort of the three safety system, you know, the Big Twelve Knowles system. It's not one that they see frequently. Now, variations of it, but more so odd versus even front that, that Georgia sees. So that's one that's unique. They don't really see a lot of teams that play uh, the sort of wide nine tech that you see with uh, JT and, and Harrison. So that's one thing. Offensively. Georgia just doesn't see quarterback talent that Stroud has, obviously, mm-hmm. and then the receiver talent that Ohio State has. They they haven't played that. Uh, it's been a while uh, since they've played teams with that. It's you know it's Alabama. It's a few you know few and far between in terms of teams with that combination uh, of skill ability. And obviously, what what Ohio State has two NFL tackles, and, and that's I think there's some uniqueness to that but there's also some elements where that's not really going to come into play a whole lot so i was looking through some of georgia's games this year and and i asked this of we had seth emerson on last week of the athletic to talk a little bit about this but i'm but i'm curious your perspective too if if there's anything 
that can be taken away from the SEC championship in, in terms of the passing yards that LSU was able to accumulate. Obviously, it's, it's a crooked number when, when you see that, but didn't necessarily translate to a ton of points. The The state of that game was such that, that Georgia was up comfortably. Is, is there anything when you come out of that game and then look at what Ohio State does that you think to yourself, well, Ohio State can replicate that? Uh, yards, no. I didn't necessarily care much about the yards. I mean, yeah. you're talking I, – I think I looked and broke it down. So one of the long plays – uh, the initial long touchdown that LSU had was after Georgia had been on the field for 25, I think, the, of the first 28 plays of the game. And then they had just scored the you know field goal block return touchdown. So the fatigue factor, I think, was big time there. They missed three tackles mm-hmm. on that play. So that if you take that plus the end of the game, like I think it was like 300 of the 500 yards were that's those situations. Right. Um, the biggest thing from a passing perspective that I took away from that game – one was how LSU schemed early. And I think that was something that Ohio State will do and will be very applicable to this game. The other thing is the contested catch situation. Like receivers made plays. And that's something like if you look back at even like the Kentucky game, Kentucky's receivers made plays on the ball against UGA's DBs. And when you look at sort of our PFF data on contested catch situations, LSU was, I think, fifth or sixth in the power five in terms of winning those situations from the receiver standpoint, one spot behind them, Ohio state. So, you know, obviously with Harrison and, and uh, that like they've got guys that can make plays in those situations. So that's one where like in terms of what's going to apply to this game, like, that type of situation where it's going to be, Hey, we get one-on-one, we're going to take a shot and we think our guy's going to win. Like it's greater than a 50, 50 chance for us from Ohio state perspective. The other thing is, how LSU did sort of two by two, five wide, even some bunch sets and did quick hitting stuff. You know, three guys going in different directions, hit hit the quick uh, stick routes. I think that's going to be a lot how Ohio State works, how they try to keep possession of the ball where it's much like the first two drives they had against Michigan where it's seven, eight, three, one, and then six, and you just consistently keep mm-hmm. the ball not necessarily big-time explosive plays, but you consistently possess the ball. And you do that, plus maybe force a three and out here and there for UGA, and, and then you're rolling if you're Ohio State. You're feeling good about yourself. So as I was watching a little bit of Georgia, um, a couple of things stood out to me. that They seem to to want to play a lot of guys on defense if they can. Um, and and also I, th- I think Kirby Smart, I think, has has a pretty good reputation of – I guess the, the the systematic nature of his defense of finding answers within that and checking to things and 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 sort of you know winning winning that chess match more often than not. So I, I guess that I mentioned that as a, as a way to get to this question. Um, we saw when Ohio State played Clemson in the Sugar Bowl in 2020, sort of change its approach by by mixing tempos in a way we had not seen Ohio State do for much of that season. Do you when you do you view that as a necessary weapon against a Georgia Kirby Smart defense to? I guess, you know, kind of kind of steal back whatever advantage Georgia might have in terms of being able to play a lot of guys, being able to make those kind of checks? Yes and no. The yes is when you're using it strategically. Like if you want to go at that consistent pace, much like Tennessee, I think you're asking for quick three and outs mm-hmm. or quick first down on two plays. And then the next time you're, you know, then three downs and you're punting. Like, and you only have the ball for a minute, two minutes max. And with the way Georgia's offense and the efficiency, what they've been playing with this season, you're asking to be 
in a 14 to three hole really quick. But if you're strategic with it, I think it very much can play into what you're doing. And I see, like you're talking about the the Clemson game. A lot of that, I think, was very much to combat Venables and his his style and his late checking style and just to mess with him as much as anything. But I could very much see Ohio State in this game going tempo, no sub, where it's, hey, we're going to line up on the ball. And you see this a lot from them when you watch the tape is, all right, get down, boom, clap, and then everybody looks to the sideline. I, I, think, I think that consistently. But then you're going to get into the chest bash. All right, you check, you move your personnel. George is going to check back. Like They're going to play. There's part of it, but you mentioned Kirby and, and his sort of scheme and, and what he does. I think one of the things that he's created is the sort of ultimate team defense where everyone there plays their role. Every like everything that like high school coaches and position coaches harp on in, in drills with, hey, hit this shoulder versus that. Make sure you plant or use this foot in your first step. All the little tiny details, those are the things that Georgia has done consistently well since he's been here. And that's why I think a lot of times you don't necessarily see from a statistical perspective, like somebody like Trayvon Walker goes number one overall, but you know, in terms of his pass rush numbers, not the greatest. But it's because it works within the framework of the team and the, how they want to play team defense. I think that those individual numbers get diminished a little bit. Did they, <clears throat> I, I, looking through comparable teams that that Georgia might have faced at least offensively, I, I, I don't think there's a true like one to one comparison for Ohio State. Um, but Tennessee does like to throw the ball a lot. I guess I guess that's similar, even if, even if they do it kind of differently. Um, how did Georgia approach that game against the Vols? Was there, did they do anything out of character in that game to combat what is a I don't want to call it a unique system, but but maybe a, a more pass happy, different kind of system than than you see most weeks? Well, things I think that they definitively did in that game. One is they said, "All right, Jalen Hyatt, you're not going to get a head start, especially on early downs. Like if they're going tempo and it's early downs, you would see a lot of times there the Jack linebacker, the, the outside edge guy, walk out." And he's there just to press up on Hyatt. Mm. So they said, all right, we're not going to let Hyatt beat us and get a head start. A couple times they did, you know, get pressure in his face. The other thing that's, I think that's so such a different little aspect from the Tennessee versus Ohio State comparison is Tennessee is such a sort of more inside zone and cute running back beside the, uh, beside the quarterback, play fake, tr- like every, you know, 60% play action. And the quarterback's head is consistently going down. Georgia, I think, used that to their advantage and bringing pressure up the middle where the timing aspect of it. Ohio State, one, more pistol outside zone off of play action. So you have to be disciplined there. But also, a lot of times, they just straight draw back. Like mm-hmm. it's, hey, I'm here to pass and I don't really care as much about the play fake part. So those are sort of unique little things I think that gave Georgia advantage against Tennessee that they'll have to be maybe play a little more honest and uh, against Ohio State. Um, J- Jalen Carter in the in this defense, uh, h- how much freedom does he have to? I don't know, just like kind of freelance and be a game wrecker, or or how much does he? Even though he is a tremendous talent, still try to stay within the framework of what you were talking about earlier about this like sort of true team defensive mindset. He's the one. He's the one they get. He's the one. He's the one player you have to account for. He's the one that is given that little bit of free. Now, there are certain instances. Like if you, I know we on uh, film the lot. We did a video in the Mississippi State game. One you know, early in the game, he's dropping as he's the spy. 
or there are certain times they'll kind of put him out on the edge. But for the most part, if it's traditional pass down, he's going to be on one of your guards and they're just going to let him eat. And he's, I think he's the one singular player that Ohio State, at least from a, the front four perspective, you have to account for. He's probably the best non-quarterback in college football, mm-hmm. bar none. Yeah, no, that that I mean, it shows up. They've not. I, I was trying to rack my brain for a player that Ohio State has seen on a defensive line, and like they played some good ones. Like they played Aiden Hutchinson last year. This is this is different. <laughs> He's Jalen well, Carter's. A, yeah, and it's a different animal because it's interior pressure, right? Like he's the closest thing. Now he's not, and from a body type perspective, he's not Aaron Donald, but from a impact and a how he can win so quickly as a pass rusher with both speed, power, moves, all of the above. Like it's it's not hyperbole when you just talk about how great he is. I know, like I, I did some chatting and whatnot on uh, on the Ohio State board there on yeah. the, uh, dotting us site, and they're like, "Hey, how do I? Why do I got to worry about somebody with three sacks?" One, he didn't play, you know, he's only sort of played that la- the last half of the season. But two, he absolutely just wrecks your game. There's multiple plays, especially Mississippi State, where if he doesn't get the quick pressure that he gets, it's big plays that are being uh, had by the offense. So, so much of this conversation since, since we saw this matchup has been about Ohio State's offense against Georgia's defense. And I, I think some people have been thinking about that for the last two years because it looked like last year maybe those two, two units were on a collision course and then it didn't work out. So now we finally have it. And that dominates a lot of the, the, the discussion. But I look at Georgia's offense, and I think it's – I don't really think it's necessarily close to the best offense that Ohio State will, will face this year. Um, maybe you could, like, nitpick here or there and say that maybe Penn State's receivers are a little better or, I don't know, J.J. McCarthy is maybe more dynamic than Stetson Bennett. I don't necessarily think that's true. Um, th- how do you view that matchup? Uh, having studied Jim Knowles' defense, you mentioned that the three-safety look that maybe is a little uncommon – the way that Georgia's offense might try to attack Ohio State's defense, do you, do you see deficiencies on the side of Ohio State that lean into the strengths of Georgia's offense? All of the above, yes. And, and for the most part, when you look at Georgia's offense this year, what has stopped them themselves? Turnovers. And if you know if you can get them turned over, different story. However, the other thing that I think is a possibility in this game when you're sort of thinking about the if you wanted to simulate this game 100 times, how would it go? Mm-hmm. If Ohio State has some success early, does Georgia – one of the things that in the three years that Todd Munkin has been the offensive coordinator at UGA is that in certain situations, when he's down, he's gone into sort of a straight drop-back game and gotten away from what makes their offense unique, which is blend of the run and pass, play action, early downs, things like that. And it's just been straight drop-back. That's what happened early in the Missouri game. And I think that's what kind of got them out of rhythm early in the Missouri game. Second half, he comes out, starts play action early, blending the run and the pass, and they you know, do what they do and take care of business in, in the second half. So that's one element to me that if one, turnovers, or two, you get it to where they're down early and you get them into a true straight drop, uh, straight drop back game where – and it's not so much that Stetson can't do it because I think 100% he can, and he's gotten to the point that this season and, and elevated his game to where he can – it's just they are not at their best when that is the case. Over over the last two years, I, I, I don't I don't know how often this has happened or if it has happened to to your uh, vantage point. Te- teams that have had a a modicum of success trying to neutralize Brock Bowers, what has that looked like if they were able to accomplish? It? Like how, how did how how have teams tried to handle defending him? 
I mean, the biggest thing is what stopped Brock Bowers is just them not throwing him the ball. Yeah, that's what that's what I figured. <laughs> I mean, seriously, because when you look at, for example, like Mayer at Notre Dame, like he's, I, I think, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I want to say it's like 17 or 18 games over the past few years, he's had at least seven targets. Bowers has, has had tons of games where he's had less than five targets. Mm. So it's just a matter of, and, and that's one of the things with, with Todd Monken's system where week to week, it, it, it changes based on opponent. It's truly an NFL system. He's an NFL coordinator. And thus, he's going to say, all right, this week, I'm going to attack this way. This week, I'm going to attack that way. And sometimes that equates to Bowers not necessarily being a massive part of the game plan. He's usually consistently in that five or six target range. But a lot of times, it's just, hey, we're attacking this team differently. But I mean, you've seen teams, uh, LSU, to me, played them played in horribly. They took their best playmaker, Harold Perkins, and said, all right, he's the only one who can physically match up with Bowers. So we're going to put him a lot on him. Well, that took Perkins out of what made him unique and as a game impact guy. You know, in terms of Ohio State and guarding him, that, that's, I will say, that is one thing that you just don't see on their roster. You don't see someone who's both big enough as well as fast enough. And that's the dilemma with Bowers is that it's not like he's, you know, six foot, 220 pounds. He's six, yeah. four, 230, 235. So he's going to be bigger than all the safeties that they play and, and, and slot guys that they play. But he's also a solid four, five, maybe even, you know, mid to upper four, four runner. So he's that much of a weapon for, for Georgia. It's just depending on how much they want to use him. And where does Munkin see the, the disadvantages in, uh, in Ohio State system? Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated myself to see how how that goes for Ohio State because um, I think the one <clears throat> excuse me the one guy they do have on their roster who is similar kind of height weight speed athlete is a true freshman in Sonny Styles who just hasn't played very much um, and outside right. and outside of him they're 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 unicorns they're unicorns for a reason so um, I'm fascinated to see how that goes Brent before I let you go I I, I want to I'm going to mention people to go back and watch the the episodes on Ohio State you guys did on film don't lie is there anything you, else you guys have coming up before the game that people should be checking out. I mean, just various podcasts that we do on the YouTube channel as well as uh, the UGA Sports podcast feed. But outside of that, uh, for me, it's one of the ones where I've watched so much of this now. At a certain point, you got to kind of yeah step back and just say, "Hey, okay," sort of haze in the barn in a way. And, and at this point, it's just let's go enjoy the game because I think there's a reason this game is the primetime game, like one hundred percent instantaneously. Like I, I know for a fact, ESPN was going to Arizona for game day. Once this was the matchup, switch. Like, so, right. you know, this, it's going to be fun. And these are two, the two of the, I think would say, you know, three, four most talented teams yep. uh, in college football, the rankings, the draft, all that stuff, recruiting rankings, all that stuff tells us that. So it's just a matter of, all right, what's it look like on the field? And we, and we, it's not like Michigan. We saw that last year. We saw kind of what that looks like. We haven't seen what this looks like. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. I'm ready for the game to be here as well. We have uh, a few more days until kickoff uh, down in Atlanta. Make sure you guys check out UGASports.com for for their coverage of Georgia, and of course, we'll have continuing coverage here on the podcast and at dotting the eyes Ohio State Brent Rowles, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you all for watching.